from India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. On the 24th of February 2022, Russia began its invasion of Ukraine. Some initial estimates suggested that Ukraine would crumble. Two years later, the war is still on. We still don't know the exact number of Ukrainian or Russian soldiers killed in the war, but the number is estimated to be over 1 lakh. Nearly 11,000 civilians have been killed in the war in Ukraine. While nations like China and Iran have stuck by Russia, nations in the European Union, the UK and US have stood with Ukraine. Two years later, one big worry is what next? In Europe, the worry is that Russia could expand the scope of the war as Russian President Vladimir Putin attempts to justify his hold on power. Take for example Lithuania. Lithuania is part of the European Union but was once part of the Soviet Union. The country's foreign minister Gabrielius Landsbergis was recently in India and spoke with Times of India's Rudranil Ghosh about the situation in Europe. Rudranil asked him why Lithuania worries that the Russian president is seeking to expand its war. Two things. Again, first of all, um, practically, Russia now is on a military industry footing, meaning that they are, you know, they they are expanding their military spending for about seventy percent this year, and you know, and countries cannot uh, invent uh, this sort of investment into their defense sector. It just not, doesn't exist. That means they take have to take money some from somewhere, right? They have limited resources now from oil and gas. because of the countries who stopped buying natural resources from Russia that means they they have lower income and they are still investing in the defense incredibly almost twice that has to come from somewhere so you have to be sure that there is a way to explain to your people not electorate because there is no electorate in in Russia but you have to explain to your people why are you doing this and this is what putin has been has been saying all along because we are at war with the west Gabrielius Landsbergis says another reason he believes that Putin will expand the scale of the war is because the Russian president has crossed too many red lines and is now beyond the point of turning back. The second thing is that from a moral standpoint he crossed the line with Ukraine. He's no longer hiding in the shadows of deniability, you know that I'm not here like he did in 2014 or 2008. you know uh with all the information that we have all the massacres that you know that being are being carried out in uh, in Ukraine where now soldiers are being shot with their hands tied behind their back you know at at point blank range he just doesn't care you know he he's over the line so that means that he's he's more dangerous than than ever and feels that he cannot be punished you know like with with Navalny now i mean with you know with uh half of the world's uh political leaders you know uh, in in one sense gathered in munich uh you know to discuss to discuss the future and you know a need for dialogue as the conference was called you know he murders his main opposition uh, leader in uh, in jail why because he just doesn't care india's had to do a bit of a balancing act over these two years as well It survived the initial criticism and the threat of sanctions from the West over its continuing import of Russian oil and trade ties with Russia. In today's episode, Rudranil Ghosh, who writes on foreign affairs for the Times of India, speaks with Dr. Rajarshi Roy. 
Rajoshi Roy is an associate fellow at the Manohar Parikar Institute for Defense Studies and Analysis and is an expert on Russia. Rajoshi Roy explains where he sees the war heading, what the continuation of the war says about Vladimir Putin, and why it's in India's best interest to keep Russia close. Rudrinil started by asking him where he sees the war heading. After 2 years of the Ukraine war, where do you see things heading? I think at this point of time I am a little pessimistic because if you see the war if you follow the trajectory of the war there has been a consistent pattern of ebb and flow the bottom line is that the war has hallmarks of an entrenched or a frozen conflict because the gains by either side those gains are barely tangible none of the sides today are better off than what they were at the beginning of the war and one can say that the war has taken its toll on all sides i think there's a perception that a stalemate could kind of tilt the war in russia's favor from what it looks like uh, that ukraine appears to be facing a shortage of ammunition and weapons there is also a growing fatigue and discontent in in the west about ukraine's ability to fight back there has been the issue of sharpening of political divide in the us there's the issue of the potential return of of president trump so all of these factors over a period of uh, of the last two years and what appears in the future i think i'm quite pessimistic about uh, how do i see the war heading because the fundamental differences the fundamental issues those are still pending those are still festering the situation might get worse before it gets better in the future you know after this conflict began the sanctions have been imposed on russia uh, they have lost so many men in this war so isn't russia today weaker than it was when when the war started oh yes absolutely you are spot on in fact one can say that the war has taken a significant toll on russia on a number of factors i could count many the first i can think about is in terms of reputational damage then there is the loss of uh, the reputational damage when it comes to uh, the functioning of russian weapons uh, because there was this perception that given russia's numerical advantage both in terms of numbers and also in terms of quality of the russian weapons russia would achieve its objectives in ukraine in a short span of time and it's still been 2 years and russians are nowhere near achieving their objectives so in terms of russia priding itself as a weapons supplier i think that has taken a hit beyond its reputational damage i think the fact is that the sanctions have hit uh, closer home because today russia is the world's most sanctioned country the sanctions have targeted the most competitive sectors of russian economy that includes energy that includes defense and that also includes financial institutions and what it has done is that there has been a significant amount of economic turbulence that the russian population has faced that includes inflation that includes capital flight and that also includes uh, a slowing of economic growth one can say that what the loss of lives has done and what the economic slowdown has done is that it has led to a fraying of social contract the social contract was anchored uh, to the fact that the state would take care of people's economic needs in return for political stability i think that social contract has increasingly frayed and that's a challenge which russia has to face domestically beyond the sanctions issue 
one can say that uh, the war in Ukraine has kind of increased Russia's insecurity rather than diluting Russia's insecurity because today NATO continues to expand. Sweden and Finland are going to become NATO members. Uh, Ukraine also appears to be on track to become a NATO member. Uh, the fact also is that uh, countries in the post-Soviet space, which Russia considers as its sphere of influence, uh, those countries are now fearful of Russia. They are apprehensive of Russia's aspirations and intentions. They are fearful that Russia could perhaps adopt the same playbook or replicate the same playbook uh, in, in their territory as they did in Ukraine. Uh, so I think from that point of view, the gains that Russia has had in the last 30 years since it became independent, I think those gains are, have been wiped out. Uh, but having said that, I think it's too early to discount or uh, discredit what Russia can do in future. Because uh, if you look at Russia's history, uh, the famed Russian resilience, they have a habit of pulling rabbits out of the hat. The fact is that despite being the most sanctioned country, those sanctions have not deterred Russia or led to a collapse of the Russian economy. In fact, one can see that the Russian economy has rebounded. So I think, yes, that the toll has been significant, but I think that's the price which the Russian political leadership and also the people are willing to pay for the cause of uh, protecting and promoting Russia's perceived national interests. Dr. Roy, do you think that uh, there is a serious possibility that Russia might attack NATO in the near future because this is something that uh, many of the frontline states, uh, especially in the Baltics, uh, they see as a real possibility. I think, yes, there exists uh, uh, an insecurity amongst uh, the Eastern European countries. But I think it is at this point of time unfathomable that Russia would attack any NATO member because the fact is that an attack on one NATO member would kind of draw in the rest of the alliance. And at a time when Russia is completely occupied with Ukraine, I think uh, an expansionist agenda towards other uh, NATO members would perhaps spell uh, an impending disaster. A direct kinetic confrontation between Russia and NATO could lead to a massive escalation beyond the conventional sphere into the nuclear sphere. So to your question, Will Russia attack NATO at this point of time? I think it's unlikely, highly unlikely. Right. Uh, Dr. Roy, now let me ask you about uh, Russia's relationship with China. Because throughout this war, China has given diplomatic uh, cover to Russia and has also economically supported Russia. So do you think that Russia is, is on its way to becoming a Chinese vassal? I think that's a very pertinent question because... Uh, today, the fact is that uh, there has been a qualitative and quantitative shift in the Russia-China relationship to the point where it is seen as an entente. But then if you dig deeper, uh, the fact is that the two countries have had a checkered history uh, from the 1950s where they were allies, they were partners, but then they were also adversaries. And uh, today, I think it is more to do with the Western geopolitical pressure on Russia which is forcing Moscow to lean increasingly more on, on China. Now, having said that, their cooperation extends in several of Russia's red lines. That includes the Central Asian Republics, that includes the Arctic, that includes defense relationship. Uh, if you remember, in the first decade of this millennia, the Russians had practically stopped exporting weapons to China on the fear that uh, China was going to copy the Russian technology. 
but the defense relationship is back on the agenda. The bilateral trade is close to $200 billion uh, today. And the fact is that China is a lifeline for Russia amidst the Western sanctions against Russia. Now, having said that, the point of contention is that the balance of ties today is in favor of China. And, and in a way, the tables have turned from what it was in the 1950s and the 1960s. And one can say that it is an unequal relationship, perhaps even an uneasy one. Uh, they are not natural allies. And there is a perception that today China is increasingly squeezing Russia. So I think from a Russian point of view, who consider themselves as a great power, uh, they are going to emphasize more on their strategic autonomy, which is basically uh, ensuring that Russia does not become a Chinese vassal. And, and Russia, is, I do, do not think, is going to allow China to have a veto over its foreign policy priorities and calculations. How secure is Putin? Uh, because uh, there are uh, a lot of reports that uh, you know Putin has been increasingly isolating himself. He is becoming more and more paranoid. Last week, the opposition uh, leader, Alexei Navalny, uh, died in prison. Many blamed the Putin regime for his death. Uh, so how secure is Putin in Russia? I think if, if you look, and, and I'll start off with the Navalny incident, I think this is not the first time that an opposition leader has, has died untimely in Russia. But having said that, uh, his death is unlikely to be a catalyst for bringing about a regime change in Russia, because at the end of the day, Navalny might have been the most prominent opposition leader, but then the fact is that his popularity was nowhere near President Putin's. Yes, his death is likely to put a spotlight on the opposition. In fact, one can say that uh, his death could be the lightning rod for people to raise their grievances, particularly today when Russians face significant challenges on account of the war in Ukraine. But having said that, the fact is that Russia is a managed democracy. There has been a significant crackdown on opposition, significant crackdown on freedom of press. Uh, so I think even today, President Putin is still in firmly in the, in the driver's seat in, in terms of navigating Russia through this crisis. You also have to remember one thing about Russia is that revolutions in Russia happen at the top and not from below, barring once, which was during the Bolshevik Revolution in 1920s. Let me ask you about, you know, Putin's mindset here, because, you know, a lot of people uh, say uh, that Putin uh, mentally might have, uh, you know, deteriorated. Is he delusional here? And because, you know, some of the, uh, the historical uh, perspective uh, that he puts out, uh, like, you know, the, you mentioned the Kievan Rus. Uh, many uh, say that that is absolute nonsense, that Russia has got nothing to do with Kievan Rus. So do you think that he's become delusional or is he still a you know, cold, calculated politician who's you know, spinning this narrative for his domestic politics? I think, yes, uh, some of the statements coming from President Putin or even from different politicians in Russia, I, I think it, it makes you wonder where is Russia headed today. But I think in Russia, uh, one needs to be aware of uh, the need to, to justify your actions. You need to justify those actions because you need to rally the people around the flag. And uh, the, the only way you can do so is by conveying the message of us versus the West. And that's the only way that even two years after 
the, the conflict has started, despite the numerous problems being faced by the Russians, he enjoys popularity in excess of 70%. So I think he continues to be calculative in terms of uh, where is Russia headed today? Because at the end of the day, uh, for Russia, this is about an existential issue. Russia has been outgunned. Russia has been outmanned. It has also been outspent by the West. So the challenges that Russia faces are immense. And uh, you need to rally the people. And uh, therefore, I think the statements coming from the the Russian uh, stable, I think you need to contextualize them in that context. Let me ask you about India-Russia relations today. Uh, We have seen India take, uh, you know, what many would say a neutral position on the Ukraine war. At the same time, it's also known that India is under tremendous pressure from uh, our Western partners uh, to take a clear position in support of Ukraine, which we have resisted so far. But do you see any nuancing of the India-Russia relationship uh, in the last two years? So I I think when it comes to the India-Russia relationship, and this is something which uh, is uh, acknowledged across the political spectrum in India, I think there's a consensus that ties between India and and Russia should be preserved. And this is something which has been acknowledged by the leadership in both India and Russia, that this is a valuable relationship which has served both countries well. Uh, And uh, the fact is that uh, when the war started, it put India in a difficult position. But uh, hats off to India's diplomacy in the way India has uh, artfully navigated this, the pull and pressure. Uh, One can see that India has qualitatively stepped up its engagement with the West, while at the same time, India has maintained robust ties with Russia. And these are all hallmarks of multi-alignment. There are multiple areas of convergence between India and and, and Russia. And uh, that stems from not just strategic autonomy, but also the fact that both India and Russia have a convergence or rather shared concern about China's rise. And uh, the fact is that uh, a truly multipolar Euro-Asian supercontinent is not possible without Russia's participation. The fact is that the cost of a drift is significant for both India and Russia, because in case India and Russia drift apart, uh, the consequences could be that Russia leans increasingly more on China. And what a Russia-China alliance could do is that it could lead to an Asia which is dominated by China. And for India to counter this alliance, uh, India might be forced to contemplate a similar relationship with the West. And by doing so, I think India would sacrifice multi-alignment and sacrifice its, its strategic autonomy. So I think from an Indian point of view, what India is seeking also is trying to wean Russia away from China by adding more pillars to the strategic partnership. And finally, Dr. Roy, uh, let me ask you, how do you see the Ukraine war ending? I think that's a million dollar question. Uh, I am a little optimist, or rather I'm a little pessimistic about this, because at the end of the day, this conflict is not about territory. It is not about a conflict just between Russia and Ukraine, because it's also a conflict, a proxy war between Russia and the West that involves a lot of shadow boxing. Uh, There is a tremendous amount of trust deficit. There's a tremendous amount of insecurity on both sides. And if you delve deeper, uh, there are certain elements which appear non-negotiable for both sides. There's also the issue of Russia's position and and place in global affairs, because at the end of the day, what Russians feel today is that their quest for equality has been rebuffed uh, and that the, the West, particularly the US, 
is seeking to contain and isolate Russia in, in, the, in the neighborhood. The outcome of the war will also be dependent upon how much is the West committed to Ukraine. Because at the end of the day today, Ukraine is surviving. It's able to put up a resistance simply because of the Western support. Without the Western support, Ukraine would have collapsed. If you look at Russia, Russians are biding their time. They are trying to see how the, the fissures in the West, how they pan out if Donald Trump returns to presidency next year. Uh, but at this point of time, I'm pessimistic in terms of finding a solution to this festering conflict. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh and Sahil Gupta. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TOI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at toipodcast at timesinternet.in.